Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5. This is uh, Ahmed Badir and Summer, my co-host, is uh, traveling today. On today's program, we're going to be speaking to the producers of a new film, documentary film called Boycott, and it talks about the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement and efforts in America to, in the United States, in multiple states, to um, ban boycotts, especially when it comes to Palestinians. Um, that and more. We'll be right back. This is True Talk on WFNF 88.5. Talk on WMNF 88.5. We're back, and uh, on today's program, as I mentioned, we're going to be speaking to the producers of um, a new documentary film called Boycott. Um, And the group is called Just Vision. Reading about them, um, Just Vision is a nonprofit whose work is made possible. Well, no, that's, uh, I'm reading from their about, about page. Um, they believe in the invaluable role of women's leadership and the power of the grassroots building rights, respecting societies and transformative role of media 
in shaping our culture and societal norms. Um, and one of those, um, and, and they just produced this film called Boycott, which is being screened in Orlando um, shortly. I think we'll um, get the details from them when they join. Um, one of their directors, the director of the film Boycott, her name is uh, Julia Botch, and I believe she's now um, joining us. And also, uh, later in the program, we're going to be um, joined by one of the individuals that are featured in this documentary film called Boycott. Uh, Julia, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Well, welcome to True Talk. Thank you for uh, joining us. Um, you are the director of of this film called Boycott? That's correct. Yep. What is, uh, what is a Boycott? What is a Boycott film about? Uh, Boycott is a documentary film that traces the stories of three Americans from different political backgrounds who are suing their states for violating their First Amendment through the anti-boycott laws. Uh, anti-boycott laws are laws that now exist in 33 states in America that say if you want a public contract, whether with the state, city, or county, uh, you need to sign a pledge promising that you will not boycott Israel. Um, it is a law that is now being challenged in courts across the country, and the film focuses on three individuals and their journeys trying to uh, be able to safeguard their livelihood and their ability to secure their jobs and also their right to speak freely uh, on behalf of Palestinian human rights. Um. If you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF, and um, I'm speaking to Julia Bacha. Is that how do you say your last name? Bacha. Bash. Bacha. Yep, it's as if it's an S A. Oh, it's like okay. Uh, um, Julia Bacha is uh, a Peabody uh, Award-winning filmmaker, media strategist, and the creative director at Just Vision, which is an organization that fills a media gap on Israel-Palestine through independent storytelling and strategic audience engagement. It says here that you started your filmmaking career in Cairo, where you wrote and edited Control Room in 2004. I mean, I remember that film. I didn't know you were actually involved in it, but I, I did like that film. It was, uh, it got a lot of uh, awards. And I think that was telling the story about what was happening in Al Jazeera at the time of the Iraq war. That's right. So Control Room uh, takes you inside the Al Jazeera headquarters in Doha, as well as the Central Command headquarters, which was the U.S. military, both military and media headquarters during the war in Iraq uh, in 2003. And it it's both places every day. They're 10 miles away from each other in Doha, Qatar, and looks at how differently the media coverage uh, was being produced in Al Jazeera versus um, for the journalists who were getting their information directly and exclusively from the U.S. military at CENTCOM, Central Command. And by the way, our radio station, our show host, broadcasts from Tampa, Florida, which is the global headquarters of Central Command here at uh, McDill Air Force Base. I'm, I'm sure you know that, uh, but you were referring to their Middle East Command, which is in uh, Doha, Qatar, um, or That's in right. Qatar, uh, in the same place where Al Jazeera is headquartered. At some point, the United States bombed Al Jazeera, did they not? 
But that was a question for you, Julia. I'm sorry, your your audio completely dropped off. Oh, I was saying at some point the U.S. Central Command bombed Al Jazeera during that war. Yes, they did. Um, uh, the journalists were at the rooftop of where they had been filming, um, and uh, and they attacked the the journalists. Um, and I think it was one of the um, many. Um, terrible episodes of that war, which um, was by and large misrepresented um, in American media. And that was why I became so involved in that film, which was directed by Jihan Mujdim, who is um, uh, an Egyptian-American filmmaker. And I worked with her in Cairo um, editing that project. So I became the writer and editor of it. And my interest in making that film was in helping change some of the narratives that had led the United States to invade Iraq under very false um, justifications. And I felt um, that the film, when it came out, really helped among you know other journalists who were beginning to question um, the war to begin to change how uh, different outlets talked about it. You know, the New York Times, uh, which supported the war at that point, was still. Um, standing by its its position, and uh, it started changing that position. And I believe the film played an important role in opening um, some of the um, uh, some of the truths that had been hidden uh, from Americans, even American journalists that had not had access to what was truly happening in Iraq. And segueing into um, that. It, it, most of these things that are happening in, in, when it comes to foreign policies. Uh, overseas um, are most of the time happening without most Americans not knowing about what's happening there or not knowing the truth because of whether it's media bias or manipulation. And uh, that, you know, this is a nice segue to the current film that um, you've uh, recently released with Just Vision, uh, the film Boycott, which the synopsis on your website says, over the past six years, unbeknownst to most Americans, 33 states passed laws intending to silence boycott and other nonviolent measures aimed at pressuring Israel on its human rights record. These dangerous bills remove the legal protection that has been awarded to boycotts for generations, granting governments the power to condition jobs on um, political viewpoints and this is where it happened to be in Florida. Florida is one of those states that passed a um, anti-boycott law. And, you know, some of our listeners that are listening to this may be wondering, you know, how can you ban boycotts? I mean, it just seems like such a fundamental American thing to do. You can boycott whatever you want. You know, I can boycott Starbucks or McDonald's or you know, any company that I feel, and it just happens all the time. You you get messages that say, hey, don't buy this, don't eat that until they fix their record. Um, it seems like such an American thing. Are these boycotts happening to everyone or was it just in, in these 33 states just when it comes to Palestine or activities around Palestine? Um, so these laws started um, at first to target specifically the effort by Americans to respond to the 2005 call by Palestinian civil society um, that asked internationals to boycott, divest, and sanction from Israel until Israel respect the human rights of Palestinians. And so it has very specific demands, um, all of them within the parameters of international law. 
And as this movement that started in 2005 grew, um, the country of Israel started enacting both domestically uh, within its own borders um, and also uh, aiming to pass legislation in different countries to suppress the growth of this movement. Um, and what the movement really looks like is, you know, people like Mick Jordal, who is one of the plaintiffs in our film, who choose not to buy um, Hewlett Packard products, uh, which is not actually an Israeli company. Um, it's an American company that benefits from the occupation of the Palestinians uh, by providing um, technology services to the checkpoints. And so that is a campaign against, Hill, against Hewlett Packard, a company that is profiting from the exploitation of the Palestinian community. Um, th those are the kind of boycotts that people engage in. There's also many other campaigns targeting different companies. And now with these laws, um, if you have a public job and a, a public contract of any kind, um, you will have to sign a pledge, an oath, promising that you will not participate in this political activities. Uh, those are expressive uh, activities that have been enshrined not only in the history of America from its very inception through the boycott of British tea that really was at the core of the, the the start of the revolution and the fight for the very independence of the United States, um, but also has gone through so many of the key social justice victories that have happened both domestically and internationally. So the civil rights movement relied um, incredibly on the tactic of boycotts in order to express the dissatisfaction of African-Americans and their allies with the continued segregation in the South. So obviously we know about the boycotts of the buses um, that um, became well-known through Rosa Parks. Uh, having started it, there was also a series of boycotts of white merchants in Mississippi um, and many other uh, examples, uh, including the grape boycotts uh, that Cesar Chavez led in order to uh, finally provide um, decent rights to farm workers in America. And of course, the anti-apartheid movement against um, South Africa, um, the boycotts, uh, divestments and sanctions movement targeting apartheid um, over the 80s, which ended up being incredibly successful and credited with the end of apartheid in South Africa. Uh, boycotts have also been enshrined um, in, by the Supreme Court as protected speech in a case from 1982 called NWACP versus Claiborne. Mm -hmm. uh, and so these laws really run in the face of not only um, core strategies for social justice, but also the law. I mean, it just seems so obvious, as you said, that these, um, that, that boycotts is a expression of uh, someone's freedom. People are free to buy what they want, boycott. Um, trade with, but here you have it where 33, state, 33 states passed very similar resolutions or laws, bills, um, trying to punish individuals for exercising their constitutional rights. How is it possible that in 33 states across the country, I mean, in order for these things to happen. A lot of times um, you need bipartisan support and looking at the records of these 33 states, uh, how these bills were passed, 
there's so much polarization, especially in the past decade, between Democrats and Republicans, but it's almost unanimous that Democrats and Republicans, who almost agree on nothing anymore in this country, when it comes to boycotting um, or punishing uh, Palestinian activists or those that want to uh, you know, influence uh, the Israeli-Palestinian situation, that somehow these two political parties, Democrats and Republicans, are in agreement in passing uh, the, this, this uh, law in 33 states. How did that happen uh, so quickly? Um, so the way that the bills were passed were uh, by and large with um, template bills that um, started with ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council. This is a state level lobbying organization that has uh, developed a well-oiled um, process for getting the same bills uh passed across state lines. They traditionally have been more of a pro-business uh, organization, uh, but took on the anti-boycott laws as, as one of their model bills. And um, you are correct that by, uh, by and large, these bills were passed with bipartisan support across the country. Versions of this bill exist in blue states like New York and California. And uh, that is because, um, as you mentioned, uh, the the sort of support for Israel has traditionally been um, a bipartisan matter. I believe that this is changing um, rapidly mm-hmm. uh, right now. There is a whole new generation um, of uh, elected officials that are um, uh, finally ready to stand up for equality, for saying that Palestinians deserve dignity and rights just as much as Israelis do, uh, and beginning to question whether... Um, it is truly in the interest of everyday Americans to be um, providing over uh, $3 billion a year um, to a country that is violating the basic rights of another population. Uh, and so I think that conversation is going to continue to grow. But as that conversation grow, the attempts to crush it and to stop it uh, legally will also grow, right? I think part of why these bills emerged is because when you can't win a debate, you need to prevent the debate from happening at all. Right. Um, and so they know that they can't win the argument, and so they're beginning to try to prevent you from even being able to to say anything. And that's um, what's mind-boggling, that the um, freedom to speak about the Israeli occupation of Palestine and what's happening to Palestinians, it's becoming you know more and more, you know, there are efforts to try to silence so many people um, and even when it comes to issues of just simply using your voice, like you said, they don't want the debate to take place whatsoever. This radio station, for example, is, um, uh, which is a community radio station, we have NPR, we have shows like Democracy Now! and others. But whenever we talk about Palestine and Israel, um, and which our show does a lot, we come under a lot of attack uh, from kind of the same group of people that repeatedly, you know, make uh, comments like the show's anti-Semitic, we're not sharing both sides. But it's almost like you can go everywhere to hear the Israeli side. You rarely ever hear the Palestinian narrative or the Palestinian side as if there's only one side and the other side, you know, the Palestinian side doesn't matter. Now, going to your film, and by the way, if you're just joining us, we're uh, speaking to Julia Basha, 
She is the creative director at Just Vision, and she's also the director of the film called Boycott, which has uh, recently uh, been made and will have a Florida premiere um, at the um, Florida Global Peace Film Festival on the 25th of September um, in Orlando, Florida. Uh, you can you know, Google Global Peace Film Festival to find out more or go to justvision.org to find under events uh, details about that event. Now, your story, Boycott, the way you're telling this documentary story or the story in this documentary, it's basically telling the story of three individuals, three Americans that are suing the states that uh, in three of these states that have passed these bills. Um, one of them is a lawyer in Arizona. Another one is a, a publisher or media publisher for a magazine in Arkansas. And uh, Bahia uh, Amawi, who is a, ch- a, um, a child a speech therapist in Texas in the public school system. I guess she works as a consultant. I watched, uh, you know, a, a a screening of the film and um, was really moved by her story. And uh, Bahia is now joining us um, live from Texas. Where are you in Texas, Bahia? Hi, um, I'm in Austin, uh, Texas. Austin, Texas. Oh. I saw your story. Very moving. Um, uh, have you always been an activist? Is this? Have you? Do you regularly sue the state, or is this your first time that you go and sue the government? <laughs> Yeah, I've been always a quiet activist. Um, I think it's in our nature as Palestinians. We're born into being an activism, basically. I don't even, I can't remember as far back when it started, but ever since we were children, uh, you know, we've always been active in demonstrations and in educating people about the Palestinian cause. In college, uh, we had started an organization. And so we were always constantly, but it was quiet activism, you know? Um, and it wasn't until, um, this uh, my lawsuit that I became more public and that I took a more um, you know a forward role. Uh, but no, I don't usually sue the state of Texas. Uh, it's not my intention to do that. <laughs> um, but um, I have to say it was uh, definitely an interesting year that year for sure. So. Um, what made you actually sue the state? I, I saw your story. You're working as a, a speech. Uh, I guess, therapist in the school system. Yes. So uh, how did this, the, uh, the bill that was passed, the anti-boycott bill um, in Texas, how did that impact you? Well, it was the it was a normal school year, fall school year, and I usually beginning of the fall in 2018. I do the same thing I do as previous years, which is I receive my contract and I sign it, and it's usually a duplicate of the one the year before. Um, except in 2018, two weeks after I signed my original document, um, there was an addendum added, and my supervisor passed it to me, and she had not seen it herself, so she said to look over it. But it was quite lengthy; it was about six pages, so I took a week to look over it. And that's when I came up to the clause that asked me to confirm that I currently do not boycott the state of Israel or plan to do it during my term of the contract with the state of Texas. Um, and so that's how it, you know, it came across me. And of course, when I saw that, I, I refused to sign it. And so I called my supervisor and I told her it was against my beliefs and um, and it's against my right as the you know, American citizen. That is my uh, my first amendment right to be able to boycott whomever I want to. This is free speech, the First mm-hmm. Amendment. So. 
Um, she actually tried to help me, um, and she let me just cross over it in initial. Uh, but then they came back after two weeks and saying, no, you, you have to sign it. Otherwise, you cannot come back to work. So um, was this sent to all teachers or all, I guess, uh, all contractors in the state of Texas? Yes, only contracts in the state of Texas. I was not a full-time employee because my colleagues whom I work with in early childhood, um, they looked over their, um, you know, their contracts and, and they didn't see it there. Um, so it's only for um, individuals who are contracts and not full-time employees. So it's, I mean, was that so weird that, you, that, you know, that just Palestine and Israel are just singled out in the state of Texas so far away from the conflict that it's it's gotten to that level of you know to silence dissent. I mean, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, it, it, it's extremely baffling. I mean, uh, my coworkers and I were like just confused. What does this have to do with our job? A speech language pathologist in early childhood, elementary school setting in a little town in in Texas. Absolutely nothing. And so everybody was confused and baffled about it and did not see the relationship at all. Um, and of course, you know, for, for me, I, I knew this was a way for for them to prevent any more advocacy and education in this area because like Julie was saying, they're losing this battle and they have to figure out a way to stop um, anyone learning more about it and learning the truth coming out. This is their method. Um, and, and that's, um, you know, it's it was just anyone who came across this bill did not understand the connection to Texas or schools or anything and well, everyone was opposed to it. What are some of the activities, um, I mean, you sued... Uh, did you try to talk to lawmakers in your state about this bill? Uh, w what else did you do? Well, um, first I tried to settle it with my um, district. Um, and of course, like I mentioned did not work because their hands were tied. Even though they supported us, they were amicable with us and did not want to be part of this lawsuit. And so we did not include them in it at all because they offered me, they told me once this is all settled, you're welcome to come back with a new contract. Um, so that's that we tried this way first. And after that, I called, um, contacted Council American Islamic Relations Care and, and seek their advice. And they helped me throughout it then and took over um, and started the, the paper work for filing for the lawsuit. Um, after we uh, we began the lawsuit, then I started contacting the representatives because I needed because I knew they were already about to mend the original law, which is the the law for um, just the contracts, single contracts. I know they were trying to mend it so they can get rid of my lawsuit. I don't get to see the day in my court, and so I was trying to reach out to the lawmakers to prevent them from you know agreeing and passing the second amended version, which is has to do with companies of ten employees or more. Um, and unfortunately, I was not welcomed. I have to tell you, um, mm. people would you're not, not meet with me. You're not welcomed not in your own um, yes. legislature. Unfortunately, they would not meet with me. They would send their staffers um, and their staffers, you know, like, guys, we understand, we agree. But unfortunately, because the topic we're talking about it is not gonna go in your direction. And it did not, <laughs> it did not go in my direction, obviously. And they, they passed the amended version in which um, now in Texas, companies are impacted, not single contractors. So I don't wanna give away the results, but you actually have your day in court and uh, you know a ruling did come out. Um, I think people can uh, search it, a research, but they could also should watch the film if they can attend. Um, the boycott uh, film screening that's going to be at the Orlando 
Global Peace Film Festival on uh, September 25th. Um, how did your community react to you when you decided to sue? Were people skeptical? Were they supporting you? Did they know what was going on? Yeah, um, thank God I had really positive um, feedback and reaction from my Muslim community and my non-Muslim community. Um, I had neighbors who came to me and said, "I understand, even though they don't under, they don't understand what's the cause or the Palestinian issue at all. Most of them don't even know about Palestine as an occupied land, or there's injustice there because in the media, of course, you know, conceals everything. Um, so most people don't even understand what is going on besides that. But they supported me because this was my First Amendment rights. And as an American, this has impacted everybody, obviously, and it, and it affected people who are not Palestinian. So really, the support was phenomenal. I had people, you know, stop me in the grocery store because they saw my story on the news, the local news, and they're in a newspaper paper um, and they would say I'm, I'm with you or thank you for doing this for us which was really humbling because I never thought as a Muslim female American Palestinian American I'm going to be representing all Americans and all Texans so, so it was really very profound for me. Uh, definitely. Um, if you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF. We're speaking, uh, or I'm speaking to Julia Basha, uh, who is the creative director of Just Vision, as well as Bahia Amawi, who was a plaintiff in a lawsuit suing the state of Texas um, over a bill that bans or punishes contractors that work with the state if they boycott the state of Israel. Um, similar bills have been passed in 33 states in the, over the past six or seven years, including the state of Florida. Um, and now there's a film about this movement uh, and highlighting the stories of three plaintiffs that sued their states in three different states. Uh, none of them were in Florida. Maybe one day somebody will step forward and also do that in Florida. Um, uh, going back to you, Julia, in watching the film, I noticed... Uh, I was surprised, well, maybe surprised, maybe not surprised, but it was really apparent in the film that these legislators, these lawmakers, that many of them are lawyers that seem educated, didn't really understand the bill, didn't know about it, didn't know the history. One lawmaker admits he didn't even remember how he voted on the bill. Um, he admitted that on camera. And um, were you surprised by the level of ignorance of these lawmakers and how they're voting for things that they don't even understand. They just kind of go along with their party. I think that what that reflects is this instinctual um, positive reaction to bills that are presented to them as quote unquote pro-Israel. And I think, you know, in, in my conversations and research with a lot of lawmakers, um, I've heard over and over again that it's political suicide to vote against pro-Israel bills. And so these lawmakers who, who indeed have thousands of bills that they are reviewing a year, um, they don't spend a lot of time looking very deeply into it because they know that the consequences of voting against them are really severe. And, uh, and so unless there is um, organized education of these lawmakers, which in some states have taken place by groups like the ACLU, uh, the Center for Constitutional Rights, Jewish Voice for Peace, other Palestinian uh, human rights organizations that have um, been able to take the time 
to educate the lawmakers on what these bills mean for First Amendment rights and what are the consequences of these bills, not only for those who advocate for Palestinian human rights, but for Americans who care about other issues. Because what we see right now already happening, which was still hypothetical during the production of the film, is that the anti-boycott bills vis-a-vis -vis Israel are being used as a template to attack the rights of Americans to advocate for other areas that they care deeply about. So there are bills already in Texas that prevent public contracts from being signed with individuals or companies if they are boycotting the fossil fuels industry. So if you care about the environment right now, forget about your public contract. Also, bills that prevent you from having a public contract if you are boycotting the gun industry. Mm -hmm. So if you are actually concerned with your kid going to school and something horrendous happening that day, and you actually want to say, I don't want to support the gun industry anymore, the weapons manufacturers. Now you, you're basically going to have to give away your livelihood, your actual job. Um, and this is opening a Pandora's box that in the fall, it's probably going to start being used by a lot of other issue areas. And I would say that, you know, I think a lot of Republicans or conservatives might think, oh, that's great because I don't care about any of this. But the problem is that once you open that, you can start conditioning public employment on any political viewpoint. So blue states could start now, and I, I doubt that they will do it because blue states tend to be a little bit more respectful of basic First Amendment rights, but they could theoretically um, do the same, but targeting issues and things that actually Republicans and conservatives care about. Um, like and abortion. So like abortion, yes. Mm -hmm. You could say if you don't support abortion, you can't have a public job anymore. Or LGBT rights, uh, Q rights, exactly. or other things. Um, yeah, any, any area. So you're basically saying that it's now you know open season for conditioning public jobs on what you think. So now we have a state that is basically monitoring your thought. Fortunately... Yeah, go ahead and finish. I don't think that I don't think that's where any of us want to go. No it's, matter where we stand. It's definitely not the intent of the constitution. What surprises me uh, about this bill is that how and I think your film um brings it out how um easily some of these lawmakers are willing to give up and violate the United States constitution um for the interest of another country. And we're not talking about these are most of these bills are being introduced by um, non-Israeli or non you know um, not non-Jewish lawmakers. Uh, most of them are being many of them are being introduced by uh, evangelical Christians, as in the case in Arkansas, the person uh, the the legislator that introduced it there, I guess, self-proclaimed born-again Christian. He legislates you know with God in mind. He is proud of it, and when it comes to uh, Israel, he'll always legislate for Israel. That, that he's basically saying that you know openly, and he even though there's a separation between church and state, I'm just surprised how um, some of these lawmakers are just so open about you know um, implementing laws that violate the Constitution uh, because that's something that they personally or their version or their interpretation of their faith leads them to. Um, and I think even your film, when they challenged one lawmaker that introduced the bill, they themselves could not come up with reasons 
of why the bill is necessary, they, with the exception of oh, this is good for Israel. I mean, was that surprising to you? I'm sorry, can you repeat? You dropped, the audio dropped again. Okay, what I'm saying is that some of these lawmakers are really relying on their um, their faith or their interpretation of their faith, evangelical, especially evangelical faith, of uh, passing or pushing this type of legislation because in their um, interpretation of their religion and you know the future that they believe that somehow the state of Israel needs to be established in order to usher the return of Jesus Christ and you know establish they have this this idea about the future and they're trying to rush it through legislation basically I mean were you surprised about how far these individuals are willing to go and how they have more loyalty to their uh, faith or to their interpretation of it and to the state of Israel than the constitution um I can't say necessarily that I was surprised only because I have been uh, researching this issue for many years now and I have been aware of what's happening across the country in terms of uh, the degree to which um, a particular interpretation of the Bible has taken hold on in many corners of America. And that's true also internationally. So you also see that happening in Brazil. You also see that happening in many countries in Africa. Uh, there is this growing um, way of uh, reading the Bible that is extremely literal. And that means you have to apply yourself in every uh, aspect of your being on earth uh, in order to uh, support and expedite the events of the Bible uh, from emerging. Um, today. And so um, there is an um, incredibly strong um, degree to which these ideas have now come to power in America. Uh, they've also come to power in Brazil through Bolsonaro and, and his groups. Um, and um, it's tremendously scary. And it should be a cause for great concern for people to, who care about democracy and basic human rights, because um, that, that particular strand of evangelical uh, thought, and I, I want to be very clear that um, evangelicals are incredibly diverse. Mm. Uh, this one very particular strand um, and 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 way of thinking and way of interpreting the Bible, right? So there are many mainline Protestant groups that um, are actually supportive of BDS. Mm -hmm. And there are others that might not be supportive of BDS, but that have a sort of general, you know, middle of the road perspective, but certainly would not agree with anything that Bart Hester, Senator Bart Hester, who is um, featured on the film. Um, he is the the, the Republican uh, in the state Senate in Arkansas that uh, sponsored the anti-boycott bill there and, and granted as an interview where he spoke very frankly and honestly about the religious uh, reasons why uh, he wanted to support um, the the anti boycott law and how religion drives um, very much every decision that he makes as a as an elected public uh, servant. I mean, and, he sounded uh, he sounded more like uh, you know the Christian version of a Ayatollah from Iran, um, you know, wanting a theocracy or you know, rather than a legislator in the United States that took an oath on the Constitution. He wants to legislate with uh, the Bible, 
and not even just the Bible, just his interpretation of what that means. And that seems to be um, kind of dominant when you talk about Christians or evangelicals in public office that are taking over these legislators across the country. And, you know, in the case of uh, Arkansas, some, you know, when it comes to the House, some like over 70% are these uh, are Republican and majority of them identify as evangelical. Um, I mean, I think it, in, in watching your film and looking at some of these groups, are these things, this, I guess, pivot or shift to the right or this view that Israel is so essential um, for Christians or for evangelical Christians? Is this happening? In, because it hasn't always been like that. Is, this, is there a concerted effort to shift the perceptions of these groups, these religious groups, over to the Israeli side? Um, I know you highlighted a group called Christians United for Israel, led by Pastor John Hagee. He seems to be very influential. Um, are those groups having a huge impact on, um, you know, evangelical Christians when it comes to Israel? Um, I think they're. I think they're certainly growing. You know, this is this is a um, a sort of way of reading the Bible that uh, started growing in popularity in the 19th century in England and eventually made its way to America. And um, it has many proponents like Pastor John Hagee uh, and many others who are incredibly popular. They are generally televangelists, so they have millions of people who follow them on TV beyond the thousands that come into their mega churches um, every week. Um, and they are very influential in, in how people think. Um, I will say, though, that there is a growing um, also awareness about the dangers of um, literal biblical interpretations. And um, you can see that on many evangelical groups that are pushing back and are really wanting to have, um, you know, their own way of um, of using the Bible um, in a way that, in my opinion, uh, seems a lot more aligned with the, the sort of... Um, peaceful, uh, equal, equality-oriented uh, teachings that the Bible can provide. If you're just joining us, this is Truth Talk. I'm your host, Ahmed. I'm, I'm speaking with um, Julia Basha. She is the creative director at Just Vision, who just uh, produced a film called Boycott. Um, and it basically highlights, uh, it focuses on uh, legislation that's been introduced in 33 states over the past six or seven years that um, punishes individuals who boycott the state of Israel. Um, one of those people that's highlighted in the film is Jew, is uh, Bahia Amawi, who's also joining us uh, live from Texas and was featured in the film. Uh, Bahia, um, in watching the film, one of the lawmakers said, I think it might have been that same senator from Arkansas said, you know, no one, when this bill was introduced, no one was up here at the Capitol uh, telling us the Palestinian side. So all they heard was the pro-Israel side and it was passed quickly. And it seems like that's how it was passed in most of these states, uh, this copycat legislation, as it was called uh, in the film. And I guess this template for the bill was introduced by a group called ALEC, uh, American Legislative Exchange Council. Were there efforts in Texas to fight against this bill before it was passed, or was that after the fact? Well, like I think, um, as mentioned, you know, a lot of these bills go unnoticed 
they um, combine them and group them with other bills so that when this, you know, there's a collection of bills that signed one time and it, it kind of um, validates all of them. And, and that's what happened with this bill. It went unnoticed. Um, people were not aware of this at all unless you became impacted. And that's what happened in my case and in the, um, the survivors of Harvey, the Hurricane Harvey as well. Um, so it just it came kind of suddenly. And, and unfortunately, this is happening with many bills. We are not aware of them because if we're not constantly looking and, and, and doing what's being passed, um, we, then we have no idea what's going on in, in the legislature. And I believe that year, over 800 bills were passed. So if we're a normal citizen who is busy with their daily life, it's almost impossible um, to know what is being passed and what, how we impacted them and give us time to advocate against something or speak for it or something. Despite being uh, one of 800 bills uh, passed uh, that year, in the film it said that it was actually the first bill signed into law that year by the governor. And when there was criticism uh, about that, um, you know, he was tweeting that, you know, Texas stands with Israel and these kind of uh, comments uh, basically disregarding, I guess, other, you know, Texans that oppose or think that they have a right to be able to boycott it. I think, what was your message that you thought resonated with the public? Because it seemed like you weren't really focused on, you know, hey, you need to stand with Palestine. What was your message about this book? Yeah, for me, I was really fighting for our First Amendment right to protect our First Amendment right. This is a right that uh, is really a blessing that we have in this country, and, um, and it's not available in many places. So I, it, it's so important that we protect it and we keep it, you know, for our children in the future. I was really worried with this law that it can actually grow and affect my kids when they um, register for college. I mean, what are the chances? You know, what are going to stop them from saying before you register, you got to sign this clause? I, I, can, I see that happening, and so I had to do something about it. And so for me, what my message was that protect our First Amendment right. This is our right. We should not be coerced to believe in a political view that we don't share. Um, you know, so basically the state, like Governor Abbott saying, if you don't share our views, you cannot work with the state of Texas. This is un-American as you can get. And we want to keep our constitutional right, and this is what they uh, take an oath to protect, and they have to uphold it. Right. Um, we're uh, kind of approaching the uh, uh, end of our show, now, but we do have um, someone who called in. I guess they have a question, uh, if you don't mind listening. Nancy from St. Petersburg, go ahead. Hold on a second. I need to do something. Uh, sorry, Nancy, can you start over? Go ahead, Nancy. Oh, okay. I, I don't think you're going to find very many legislators who are comfortable talking about uh, First Amendment or any other kind of amendment right to our Constitution. Because uh, there was something, you know how you watch TV and it's called programming? Well, we're the ones being programmed and have been since, God knows, 1940s, I think. But anyway, um, into f thinking that there's something wrong with people who, who go to the Constitution to, uh, to uh, command their rights. Because uh, if you'll recall, uh, cop shows showed that. Oh, you're right, though. So this is what I think of your rights. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it's been, we've been programmed to not uh, believe in our own Constitution. We've been programmed to think that those things uh, are, are a weakness. Look at what they, how they've uh, demonized the uh, ACLU, for instance. 
never hear about them anymore. And, um, you know, you kind of wonder who is uh, taking hold of these things. When you mentioned ALEC, they're the, that's the group that, that came into Florida and Texas and so many other states with your stand-your-ground law, which meant that so many people who are in prison now um, for, uh, for uh, uh, shooting somebody, or not, uh, they're not in prison for shooting somebody, right. but the people who are dead because of this law, uh, it's, it's just frightening. Thank you. That was uh, Nancy. Um, sorry, Nancy, we're running out of time. So, um, Bahia, do you think that that's the case, that people are just programmed to give up their rights easily? I think people are just not paying attention. Yeah, I, I believe in that they're being programmed. Whatever we watch on TV, they want us to believe a certain thing. And so obviously they're not um, sharing things that's happening um, in, the, in a bigger picture. Um, but I, I think people are just not paying attention. They're just so busy and we're, they keep us busy with our day-to-day -day activities. You know, how, having finding health insurance that's affordable, um, prescription drugs that's affordable, being busy with school and issues of school that we're so busy with our day-to-day -day activities and they make sure that we're so busy with the stuff that we don't have time to pay attention to what's being passed in Congress and in the Capitol. Um, and I think that is the bigger issue. You know, it's just um, there's so many other problems going on that we're just um, too consumed. To pay attention. All right. Um, Julia, uh, in the film, you also, the film also highlights the role of Israel itself directly fighting uh, the BDS uh, movement, which is the boycott divestment sanctions movement. You mentioned that it was a call started by Palestinian civil societies for a nonviolent movement that would uh, boycott the state of Israel until they provide equal rights for Palestinians. It's, it seems doesn't seem like it's, uh, you know, rocket science. They want equal rights, and they're asking the world to stand with them. Um, but Israel is fighting this, and they're directly funding from the government of Israel, and they're directly funding um, the, the lobbying efforts to push for this leg legislation in America. How is that happening? How did you guys uncover this? And is this legal or not? One of the um, key partners um, in this film was an Israeli investigative reporter called Itamar Benzaken, and he worked for he works for a Seventh Eye, which is a media watchdog in Israel, and had been trying to get information on what the Israel Ministry of Strategic Affairs was funding. Um, at that time, the ministry was given the same rights as the Defense Ministry in that they weren't um, required to respond to freedom of information requests from the press so they could do all their activities in secrecy um, under the guise that uh, it was um, about national security matters. Um, eventually, after three years, um, Itamar was able to get the documents that showed a lot of the organizations in America that the ministry had been secretly um, uh, funding through a third party um, organization that it created called Concert. So a lot of the organizations in the U.S. do not want to get money. 
directly from the Israeli government, because if they do, they need to register as foreign agents. This is a law called FARA, the Foreign Agent Registration Act. If you get money from any foreign governments, you need to uh, register as a foreign agent. And many organizations, understandably, don't want to be seen as operating as foreign agents in the country. Um, but um, in order to send that money in, uh, the, the Israeli government created uh, this organization called CONCERT so that the money would appear on the bank statements of these American organizations as coming from a nonprofit organization as opposed to from the government. So there's something very um, uh, um, sort of not not looking very good. Um, you know, it's it's hard for us as, at this point, based on the information we have, to conclusively be able to say that that any laws have been broken, but certainly uh, many FARA lawyers that have looked at it, believe that it might be the case that laws were broken. And I think it's very important for investigative journalists to take this from here and, and potentially for um, the, the Justice Department uh, to, to start looking into those as they do with, with many other uh, potential cases of foreign interference on American democracy. Speaking of foreign interference, I mean, and by the way, I mean, there is, I think your film also highlights that whenever a foreign government tries to interfere in or funds activities, lobbying activities in America, they have to register with uh, the IRS or FARA, but they're not doing that. Um, another example of that is the ambassador uh, of Israel to the United States. I, I had read somewhere or found it when I was um, researching for this show that in uh, July 2021, basically a year ago, um, the um, the ambassador of Israel sent the governors of 35 states um, demanding that they use their uh, anti-BDS laws against Ben & Jerry's ice cream because Ben & Jerry's ice cream does not want their ice cream sold in the occupied territories. They're not even saying, no, you know, going to boycott all of Israel. They're just saying, we don't want our ice cream to be uh, in the occupied Palestinian territories. These are Palestinian, this is Palestinian land that's occupied. And uh, he wanted to punish them. So they're going even a step further to say that they want to punish Ben and Jerry's uh, by using uh, those laws. Why is it, why, are they, why do they feel th so threatened by this BDS movement, putting so much money behind it to, uh, to silence this, uh, in your opinion, Julia? Well, I think it's very important for Israel to maintain the bipartisan support that it had had um, for decades now in America. And it sees that it, this is beginning to crack in the Democratic Party. And the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement is one of the ways in which um, the, the conversation is shifting. Uh, it's, it's, it has been a very effective call by Palestinians. It's something that Americans uh, can understand. It's about solidarity. Uh, it's a nonviolent movement. Uh, it's about simple acts that you can do as a consumer um, that um, will start not only, um, you know, uh, the specifics of economic pressure, but also uh, the Julia, idea that... Julia, sorry, we have to leave it there because NPR News is no next. Problem. I'm really sorry. Um, NPR News um, 